Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, 
you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Antonio, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. So you are yet another person who uh, has been referred by our mutual friend and mega connector, Clay Haybear, uh, who has basically endlessly referred amazing guests to the show. So no pressure there. But on that note, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your story, your journey, your background, and how that has brought you to uh, what you're up to in the world today? Yeah, first, Clay is a fantastic guy. And of course, as you know, referrals are the way to go. I think back to the first thing I learned when it comes to emails. And the only way I, you could get a stranger to answer that cold email if it, in that subject line, if it says referred to by, mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden you're vetted and you're safe. Uh, quick background on me, you know, folks do a Google search on me. Primarily what they're going to see is that I worked in television in New York City for over 10 years. I mean, I started off I mean, co-hosting television shows on Nickelodeon, and then I moved on to doing things with networks like NBC, interviewing top executives, CEOs, and entrepreneurs, helped develop and create programs for BET networks and correspondent work with the, the PBSs of the world. I think one of the ways I like to describe myself as being a professional question asker, uh, like you, you know, uh-huh. I'm an extremely curious person and I always love learning about people's journeys. And after about 10 years of working in television, I transitioned to starting my own leadership consultancy, which was called Think Action, where I did a lot of uh, keynotes, did a lot of executive coaching, did tons of uh, facilitation of offsites and retreats. And these days, I'm fortunate that I get to spend a lot of my time traveling across the country speaking to college students and supporting them in accomplishing you know, their career goals, et cetera. And I do that as a speaker on my own. I also work with a, a personal branding platform called About.me. So that's a, a, a bit of my journey there. Okay. So there's, as you know, a ton of stuff here. I, I want to go back to the very beginning of this. In fact, let, let's talk about the journey before the journey, which is always one of my favorite things. I mean, what kind of a childhood, what kind of an early schooling influence led you to realizing that you know you wanted to have a career in television and you know talk to me about navigating that because i mean i think that you know we look at that world and think okay only a select few make it it's kind of like the survival of the fittest if i've ever seen it it very is this very much the survival of the fittest i'll be straight up honest with you i am from a small town in michigan Mm -hmm. i am from one of those towns that people really don't leave we're all about nascar we're all about hunting uh, growing up, I always knew I wanted to do something a little bit different. Uh, you know, I'm the a first-generation college student that got away to go to Western Michigan University. For me, I didn't know much about college. If you would have told me there are Ivy League universities out there, I would, have, I would have never known exactly what that meant and what they were. But somehow from a young age, I knew that going to college was going to be an awesome gateway for me. Even in, in high school or even in college early on, if you would have told me I'd, I'd find my way to working in television – in front of cameras in New York City and Los Angeles and speaking on stages, I probably wouldn't have believed you because I didn't think that that was probably in my arc or on the trajectory from a community that I'm from. Again, small town, raised primarily by a single mother. I mean, growing up, I knew a lot about instability. I want to say before I graduated from high school, probably moved over 15 different times in my little small town. Uh, you know, Between my mother and father growing up, were a total of six different divorces, thankfully not to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I come from a really blue-collar family. My father's worked in factories his whole life. My mother's been an administrative assistant her whole life. So me being the youngest child of three, I just kind of knew there was something else out there. And I wanted to be the, the weird one, if you will, to go out there and venture and try things. I was extremely fortunate that there were some people, some mentors that paid attention to me that helped kind of reinforce that I, I could do these things. Now, now that we're talking about this, I, I think about maybe the first time I felt that I could do something a little bit different. When I was in, in sixth grade, uh, I was about to turn that proverbial wrong corner, if you will. I was a little mm-hmm. bit angry. I was going through a challenging time with uh, you know, some instability at home. And somehow my sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Hirschman, she cast me as the lead in the sixth grade production of The Nutcracker. Now, that may seem insignificant, but that probably was one of the very first times in my life that I felt like someone believed in me 
And because of that, it taught me to believe in myself and probably getting on those stages for that, you know, elementary school production was probably the, the beginnings of my wanting to get in front of cameras and get in front of people to tell stories. So finding my way in front of that camera, I didn't think that was ever going to happen. In college, I took a safe job after graduating. I was a, a cheese salesman. I lived down in South Florida. I worked for this company called Kraft Foods. And I was responsible for about 25 different grocery stores down there. And I spent a year you know, doing the sales representative job. But after a year of doing that, it, it, it was as if I felt this metaphorical tap on my shoulder saying, this isn't for you. There, you know, you, you want to tell stories. You, you think you want to work in entertainment. It's probably not going to happen here. And for me, the obvious place to go to was, was New York City. Who cares? I'd never been there before, but I, I probably did the scariest thing I ever did in my life after that year out of college. I moved to New York City with a little less than $700 in my bank account. I know it sounds cliche. And from there, that kind of sparked my path. Hmm. So l- let me ask you this. One of the things that you brought up was that sort of proverbial wrong turn. One of the th- And to me, one of the big things here is a, a story of somebody who has overcome the environment that they have been brought up in. And sometimes I think that we don't overcome the environment that we're brought up in. Uh, and if we don't, I mean, how do we do it later in life? I'm really interested in your perspective on that. Sure. Well, I always like to think about this. The story is one of those uh, proverbs you hear a lot. And there are two kids. They're, they're, they're twins. They're the same age. Mm-hmm. And they grew up with an alcoholic. <laughs> they grew up with an alcoholic father. Yeah. And you've probably heard this before. And one kid went on to be an alcoholic. And they, they asked him, what happened? Why did you end up becoming an alcoholic? And he said, well, my father's an alcoholic. That's why I'm an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. The other kid went on to amazing success. And they said, why did you become an amazing success? And he said, well, because my father's an alcoholic. Right? So it's amazing how the environment can have two different effects on, on two different people. Uh, I think in terms of when you get a little bit older, for me, it's... We, life at the end of the day, the things that I share with young people and, and college students on, on college campuses is that we always have a choice. If I do nothing else, is to make you aware of the choices that you have before you. Mm-hmm. Most importantly, and what that comes down to is being willing, I think, to take 100% responsibility and accountability for your actions. And what that means is not pointing out at the world saying, you did this to me or this experience did this to me or rather looking within and asking yourself what's most important and getting curious and, and wondering about that. And then, you know, taking those steps to step out of that. One of the reasons I think I've been able to step out of that is because I've been fortunate to always be surrounded or did my darndest to find exceptional people who were around me, whether those were classmates, whether those were coworkers and colleagues, you name it. I'll tell you a story that maybe is a little bit indicative of that. When I was an undergraduate at Western Michigan University, uh, I walked on the track and field team. Now, if you know anything about walking on a track and field team, essentially you try out for the team. And if you're lucky enough, you make the team, but you are not on a scholarship. And that essentially was my case. Uh, For two years being on that track and field team, I was doing horrible. I wasn't getting any results whatsoever. And I still remember one day my my track and field coach coming up to me and he said, Antonio, you're doing horrible. In two years of being on this team, and I gave you an opportunity, in two years of being on this team, you haven't placed in a major competition. He said, however, I I do want to point something out to you. He said, "Uh, if you don't know this, but we have two All-Americans on our track and field team. And in fact, these are two people that would go on to compete like in the world championships. I mean, exceptional athletes. But he pointed out something to me that he said, but not once in these two years that you've been on the team, have I ever seen you spend any time with them? Mm-hmm. He said, instead, you're hanging out with those guys. And he pointed over to the high jump mat. And the high jump mat were some of my teammates, good guys, but guys that weren't all Americans, laying back, relaxing, having a really good time. And he was right. Those are the people I was spending my time with. Mm-hmm. I think the reason why I wasn't spending time with those all Americans was because they worked harder than I did. They got up earlier than I did. They ate better than I did. They did uh, more repetitions in the weight room than I did. They probably passed on those social curricular and, and party events that, that I that I went to. 
And so for me, that introduced me to this concept, you know, I like to call allies and thieves. And from that point, I realized if I surround myself with, you know, quote unquote greatness, it can have a positive effect on my life and rub off on me. So the first thing I, I share with people, they're, no matter what stage they are in their life, and if they're trying to do something a little bit different or trying to pivot a little bit, is step one is to look who you spend your time with, and that can have a great effect on where you're going to head in the future or, or where you're not going to go. Hmm. So two questions from this. Why didn't you quit in those two years, and how did not quitting influence and shape the later parts of your career? In your life? You know, quitting for me has never been an option. I've been an athlete my whole life, high school. You know, I was a three-sport athlete for most of the time, football, basketball, and track and field. And I don't know if it's just a, a byproduct of that blue-collar environment I was raised in in Michigan where just throwing in the towel, it never was an option. And somehow I developed a, a strong resilience, perseverance, and grit. Some of that may have something to do with those tough times and those tough experiences that I, I experienced growing up. And, you know, it's funny, you look at a lot of the research now and if you they identify those things that, you know, separate the quote unquote successful people from those who don't necessarily uh, succeed, it's not always, you know, where they got their degree. It's not always certain factors. It's how much resilience do you have? How much grit do you have? Mm -hmm. So for me, it's just never been an option. I've always felt Maybe I'm a little naive. I've always felt in some shape or form, I, I wanted to be a, a huge success or a huge failure. Mm -hmm. Something about that, again, I'm not talking about dollars and cents and all that. I'm talking about living a fully actualized, actualized life. But something about that middle ground when you're kind of just coasting, it never felt right for me. It always, again, I always felt that tap on my shoulder saying, there's another way to do this. So I was fortunate somehow, some way to develop I think a decent amount of resilience and grit never to, to cave in or give up. Hmm. Okay. So let me ask you this. Do you think grit is something that people are born with, or do you think it's something that can be cultivated? And what do you think separates the person who has grit from the one who doesn't? Well, it's an excellent question. And right. Is that DNA? Is it, is it an environment? Uh, I think a great portion of that is innate. It, it is in some people's DNA. And sometimes it is a product of the, environment. For me, I think it was being the youngest in the family and, and seeing some things you know, that you know, I probably didn't want to see or experiencing some of those things. That it's, and somehow when I saw those things, it didn't say run away to a corner, start using you know, crazy drugs and run with the wrong, wrong crowd. It said, no, there's another way. Hmm. Uh, I do believe that grit and resilience can be developed. And I think the one way you can do that is through discipline and, and commitment and work ethic. Uh, you, you know, you tell me, I meet people and they tell me they want to do certain things. And the first thing I look at is what level of commitment are they going to make to it? What level of sacrifice are they going to make? Uh, a good friend of mine, someone I'm going to refer to you for this podcast, his name is Bassam Tarazi. Mm -hmm. He's written a couple of books on accountability. And he's one of those guys I call my accountability partner. And, you know, he's written a couple of books and so people come up to him on a regular basis and they say, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book. And you hear that from a lot of people. And typically the response you, people give them is, oh, that's great. Fantastic. Well, Bassam says to people who come to him and say they want to write a book is he says, by when? Mm -hmm. And that shift right there to not just, hey, that's great, to by when, that, that's a big difference right there. Because that means then you can go about actually taking action on that and putting something there. I'm a big fan of putting things on the calendar. Uh, if they're not on the calendar, they don't exist. I, I'm a journalist by trade, so I was listening to the, he, the host of that, that show on the Comedy Central now, Larry Wilmore. And he says, why do I write? Because I have a deadline. <laughs> now, I'm very much similar. I have to put those things in front of me. I have to have that deadline. I, I have to have that, uh, you know, that thing on the calendar. And for that, that creates structure. Then I can rewind and start from the bottom where I'm conceptualizing things but I can see the, the end of the tunnel. And for me, that was beautiful for television because working in television, whether it's a tape production or a live production, I always loved that there was a firm beginning, middle, and an end. Uh, a new show every single day or a new story I would produce every single day, and that drove me. If, if I didn't have that type of structure, if I didn't have deadlines, if I didn't see a clear finish, 
it's fair to say I would probably have struggled a little bit. So for people who are trying to find that grit, I think it is all about accountability and creating structure where there is no structure. Hmm. So on that note, let me ask you this, and then we'll kind of shift gears a little bit and take the conversation in a different direction. Did you have any parts of your career through this journey that have been incredibly challenging or difficult that really required you to dig deep and find the grit that was necessary to keep going? And if, yes, they, if you did, what were they? Well, yes. So I tell you, I've worked for a variety of networks. You know, folks have seen me on camera with NBCs of the world, with the BETs. I've done some stuff with E! News Live, et cetera. Uh, but I started my career hosting shows on Nickelodeon. I was a co-host of a, a live program there called You Pick Live. It came on every single day. It was our version of Total Request Live. This was two years after I arrived in New York City with less than $700 that I found myself on live television every single day. And I'll be the first to admit that those two years, while they were fruitful and beneficial, they didn't always go so fantastic. Uh, there's a reason why I think a lot of times in television, uh, reporters, they don't start out in New York City and they don't start off in Los Angeles. They start off in the small markets where you can go there and you can mess up a little bit. It's a low-pressure environment. Uh, but I started off you know, in a major media market. And I can say that those two years, though they were great, they didn't always go so fantastic. I wasn't the best host during those years. I probably wasn't as committed as I probably could have been during those years. So much so, and I don't tell many people this or whether it's not necessarily public knowledge, this is one of those things that aren't on the resume. After two years of being on that show, my contract wasn't renewed. And so for years I would say, yeah, people say, what happened to Nickelodeon? And I'd always say my contract wasn't renewed because that sounds a lot better than getting fired. (laughs) And after that, uh, I left New York City. I had these long dreadlocks. I cut them off. And I moved to Los Angeles. I just left. Uh, I just had to get out of New York City. Um, And I moved to Los Angeles. And you talk about a challenging time. For me, that was an extremely challenging time because I'd gone from being on live television every single day, having development deals for a series I was looking to create, et cetera. And then all of that was taken away, if you will, much of it by my own doing. And in that year, that year I was in Los Angeles before I returned to New York City for graduate school, it was probably the most trying times of my life because that show still existed. I could still turn on the television every single day at 5 p.m. and see my former colleagues doing what I used to do. And of course, you feel sorry for yourself. You feel like you let yourself down. You let your family and friends down. You were the one that got away. And, and here you are in Los Angeles, you know, trying to act in commercials and do the proverbial cliche story. Uh, So that time for me, that year was extremely challenging. But again, it kind of reaffirmed that grit, that resilience after a while of feeling a little bit sorry for myself. Why why did this happen to me? I had to go back to taking responsibility for my actions. Uh, So that's when, if you want to say faith was challenged, that's when my career, my future, all those things were extremely challenged. You know, it was an extremely depressing period of my life. Hmm. Well, you know, one, I appreciate your vulnerability around this and it kind of, uh, you know, makes me think about some of the the last year that I had and and how difficult it was. I guess the, the question I'd be curious about is what was the key to shifting the mindset that got you back on track? Uh, there was a, First, I've never shared that really in any public capacity, by the way. Uh, it's been on, known to happen here from time to time <laughs> on stages. You know, some friends who are close to me know that, but I haven't shared that much of it. Um, I just say, Oh, I used to host shows on Nickelodeon. Like, yay. Like, Oh, yeah, I got fired. Um, I think what shifted that was again those people that I surrounded myself with. Uh, it got back to creating deadlines for myself and structure. Uh, I was doing regular writing, trying to get my writing on television shows, and a few opportunities came up where I was working on a on a, on a freelance basis with a, with a few networks here and there. Uh, but then it it's that realization, man, that no one cares more about you and your goals than you do. Sure, your parents do. Sure, if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend, they do. Sure, your friends do. But but no one can care more than you do. And for me, I just got I had enough of feeling sorry for myself and looking in the mirror. And again, I started putting those goals in front of myself and surrounding myself with those individuals in Los Angeles that were doing good things. Uh, the best thing that ever happened from that situation, man, was the releasing of the ego. The uh, humility came to me. Humility was real 
at that moment from a dollars and cents perspective, from mm-hmm. just a life perspective. And, you know, at that time I realized how much telling stories was important to me. And I started exploring options of how can I become a better storyteller and get good at this. And that's when I decided to apply for graduate school. And I ended up applying to Columbia University, uh, their graduate school of journalism. And how I got accepted into that program, I don't know to this day. Uh, but that was a big shift for me, deciding to apply for that program, getting accepted, and then kind of having a, by no means, a triumphant return to New York City. But I came back with a purpose, with the goal to, to start telling some stories that matter. Mm. I love this. You know, it's, I love that you brought up you know, shedding of the ego and sometimes I can't help but think that the only way that you can learn that lesson is by going through it, that we can talk about it. You and I can actually sit here and have a conversation about it, but nobody will truly understand it until they've gone through it. hundred percent. I agree with you. And you talk about a shattering of an ego. That was huge. Again, going from TV every single day and signing autographs and, and airports and different locations to worrying about rent, to worrying about car payments, to, those things, uh, the ego was shed and you have to find out what's really important. And of yeah. course, a lot of people find faith in that moment or spirituality, whatever you want to know it. But for the longest time, you know, as you think about world spirituality or you think about, you know, the yoga world, et cetera, a, a term I always heard, man, that I never understood was this, was this term of surrendering. You have to surrender. And so for a long time when I would hear surrender, I thought people were talking about, oh, you just give up. You know, people say, oh, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade. For some people, if life gives you lemons, bail. <laughs> and, I, and I thought that surrendering was bailing uh-huh. until I realized that surrendering actually was trusting. That was trusting that you're prepared for this moment. You are equipped, especially if you've done the work. Most importantly, and this goes back a little bit further. I, you know, I talked to you a little bit about my, my upbringing. And at times, I was extremely challenging and, you know, kind of take care of myself a lot. As a kid and figure things out, I became extremely independent and, and resourceful with a super high self-awareness. But at that moment, those those dark hours, if you will, living in Los Angeles, and don't get me wrong, I never lived, I wasn't hungry. I always had a meal and those things to eat. Mm-hmm. But I realized television in New York City, early on in New York City, I was doing it for the wrong reasons. I was doing it for validation. God. All of a sudden, those people saying yes to me at commercials and, excuse me, at auditions in New York City when I got that job at Nickelodeon, I, all of a sudden, I was validated. I am worthy. I am up. <laughs> I think it's the same way with young people and entrepreneurs when they're trying to raise money. Like, all of a sudden, their idea isn't validated unless they get an angel fund or they get some VC. If, if someone posts something on Instagram and nobody double taps on it, they're not validated until someone double taps. I had to come to the realization, the hard one, that, again, I... Still deal with this till today that I am of value, mm-hmm. even if no one else says so. That that starts from within, as, as I'm sure you're aware. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to eighty percent less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. So you're, you're, you know, you're forcing me to bring up something that I probably haven't really talked about much uh, on the air ever, actually. It, it, it's interesting because that really in a nutshell describes my experience of probably the last 13 months you know, I, I, you know, most people who are listening know because they have ended up here because of this. I had a, had a book hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list, list. I sold out a conference. I mean, it was as if my life was just exploding. And in a few short weeks, it was all gone. You know, the book royalties went down and it took me a long time to realize that same scenario. I was actually doing like it's funny because I even wrote about this in, in my own book about the fact that, you know, like your ego gets in the way and don't become a victim of it. And I started to to really crave that validation. My my editor who edited my, my self-published book said, don't forget the guy who was happy to sell 300 copies. And I completely forgot that guy. And amazingly enough, it led me to some very, very dark places, uh, much like, like the ones you're talking about. And I remember you know, you're talking about faith and spirituality. I was having dinner with an old marketing professor and she had been at our event last year which was you know a success by all accounts i mean she had seen me just you know climb this mountain and last the eight months since i'd seen her a lot of things had gone wrong and you know we were chatting and she said i'm surprised you didn't turn to religion i said actually i questioned the existence of god (laughs) wow yeah and uh it, you know, I mean, it was one of those moments that really it, it woke me up and it made me start to think a lot about what truly mattered and why I was truly doing this work. And losing touch with that, I think no matter how successful you get, will lead you to some very dark places. And you know what's amazing is that I'm, I'm sure for you this is the case. There's a lot of value in those dark places. Yeah. I mean, you don't see it at the time, but there is so much value in those dark places. I like to call it the wilderness. Yeah. Kind of like uh, Steve Jobs, right? Exactly. There are some dark places there. And you know, it just reminds me of, you know, not to an ex- not to expect an award for doing what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, think about that joke, Chris Rock, you know, uh, he says, you know, you, you, you go, <laughs> I remember. You, yeah, you go get a degree or you come back home and people are, oh no, he was talking about how, you know, I've never been to jail. And people, you know, you're not supposed to go to jail. (laughs) Quit having such low expectations for yourself. I take care of my kids. You're supposed to take care of your kids. But you mentioned the whole thing about, you know, climbing a mountain. And I was reading this article recently, an interview in the New York Times with a senator. I can't think of his name right now. But he mentioned how much he loved uh, rock climbing. Mm. And in the interview, he referenced something to the extent of that you don't climb a mountain by accident. And for me, that was very apropos of my situation and probably sure your journey and many of the journeys of people that you, you've interviewed over the course of this podcast is you don't climb a mountain by accident. And I like to give the analogy sometimes when I'm giving talks to students is like, you know, what would happen if all of a sudden someone airlifted you and, and they dropped you off on the top of Mount Kilimanjaro or they dropped you off on the top of Mount Everest? 
you'd get there, you take a big look at this, you know, wide, beautiful landscape, and within seconds, you'd probably pass out because your lungs haven't acclimated to that altitude. You haven't earned that altitude. I think that's the reason why nowadays when it, when it comes to reality television and the, the shows, the American Idols or the voices of the world, there's a reason why, you know, this that you don't see these young men and women a year or two after they've won these competitions because they haven't earned it. In many ways, it's probably fair to say that I didn't, quote unquote, earn that first job at Nickelodeon uh, and, you know, kind of fell from that mountain. So. For me, that, that, that wilderness, that, that dark time was getting back to being willing to do the work. It's analogous to, to driving a vehicle. You know, we all want to start in fifth gear. And if you've ever driven a stick shift, you and I both know that doesn't start too well. If you try to start a stick shift in fifth gear, that doesn't start too well. Yeah. And for me, it's a, being willing to love first gear, second gear. And of course, you got to learn how to love those stalls because there's a lot of value in those moments. And when that moment does come, when you're, when you're hitting hard and, and things are happening, you're more prepared for them. And you're not just prepared, but to the point of your, your, your editor, that person I used to, who was happy just selling 300 books, you're doing it for the right reasons. As my grandmother used to say, what other people think about you is none of your business. Mm-hmm. You know, what really matters, of course, is what, what's going on inside of us. And for me, I'm guessing that's going to be a lifelong journey. I would say so. <laughs> yes, I, I think we both would say so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and one that I jokingly say requires a compass, not a map. Wow, that's great. Yeah, 100%. A compass, not a map. Wow. Well, and, that was a straight yeah. up shameless plug for my latest writing project, which people can get you know notified about at theinstigatorscompass.com. It comes out probably one week after this interview is airing. Oh, that is fantastic. And if you don't mind, I'm going to borrow that on stages across the country when I speak the compass, not a map. <laughs> Just give me credit and send all those people to our podcast. I will do that. So let's do this. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit. One of the things that you said earlier that caught my attention was the proverbial tap on the shoulder and this whole idea of what it means to live an actual, fully actualized life. In fact, that's what I'm going to title the interview. What does it mean to you to live a fully actualized life and how do people figure out what that means to them? For me, it means, this is going to sound generic, it's going to sound life coachy, but it means living on purpose. It means doing the things for the right reason. Uh, my first job out of college that I mentioned to you was I, was I was a sales representative. And the reason why I took that job was because it was a quote unquote good job. Where you, where I'm from, you don't turn, turn down jobs like that. What pains me nowadays sometimes is when a lot of parents and, and students, they, they pay attention to those annual articles in the newspaper that say most in-demand positions, integrated supply chain management positions or healthcare. And all of a sudden, what you find is people pursuing careers that have, they have no interest to them, but just because there's a demand for them. Uh, one of the biggest challenges I think we can fall into is being good at something. But mm-hmm. just because, you, I'm sure you know this, just because I'm sure you're great at a variety of things, but just because you're good at something doesn't mean that you're supposed to be doing it. And so for me, it's, you know, spending a lot of time being curious and sometimes wondering out loud and writing and asking myself what I most want and what I most want to accomplish. Uh, for me, I know I'm probably going down the wrong path if I feel some type of obligation inside of me. Mm. If I'm pursuing something, I feel like I'm obligated to do it. So for today, though Clay, of course, vouched for you in this podcast, if for some reason I felt obligated to do it because Clay said so, or he referenced it, it probably wouldn't be the right thing for me to do. Of course, he referenced it. I did my research, and I was like, of course. There's no obligation here. I'm here 100%. I'm committed by my own doing. But I pay attention to those things inside of me. Am I feeling obligated? And if I am feeling obligated to to meet this long-lost friend who's visiting from out of town, uh, why am I feeling that way? Um, Do I feel any type of burden uh, by the actions that I'm doing? Do I feel any type of guilt for doing what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. Am, I, am, I, am I doing it for the right reasons? You know, as, as you and I both know, I've done plenty of things over the course of, of my life for just for the paycheck. And the best of me doesn't show up sometimes in those situations when it's just for dollars and cents. For me, it's pretty simple. The projects that I choose to work on. And for me, those are ones that help young people. 
particularly college students, that, again, to make them aware of the choices that they do have in front of them and how they can live a fully actualized life and just, again, be aware of the choices that they have. I get a lot of inquiries to, to speak on a variety of topics and, and stages, uh, but it's hard for me just to do that, that corporate gig, even if it pays a good paycheck, if in some shape or form that isn't going to touch those young people. Uh, again, I think, you know, there's a lack of anything nowadays and something I've struggled with over my, the course of my life is a lack of confidence, a lack of self-esteem. And I think that's because of, of a lack of awareness. And so I really feel like a, a big part of my mission is supporting students and you know, young people and building up that confidence, that the self-esteem and, and finding those things inside of them that are special and unique. And knowing that that doesn't always have to be associated with a career. You can have a job that may not be your quote-unquote passion, but that allows you to do some things that you really enjoy in your, in your evenings or in your weekends. I think that's, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, it's a tough question that, that how do you get fully actualized, but it starts with getting really curious and paying attention to those emotions you feel inside, and they will tell you a lot. Let's take a quick break and thank our friends at Advisor, who are the sponsors for our next quarter of The Unmistakable Creative. At the beginning of the episode, I know I talked about the app, and what the app basically does is allow you to access sound bites from hundreds of experts in thousands of different areas. There's short sound bites on storytelling, on communication, on presentations, and it's like having access to former unmistakable creative guests in short sound bites on a playlist. So imagine being able to go through a playlist and have the best things you've ever heard on the unmistakable creative boiled down to three minutes. So definitely check out the app. And now let's get back to the show. So it's funny because I am betting that somebody who is listening to this is going to write that off as hokey new age bullshit. Uh, and I'm not saying it because you've said it. I, it's the person who is hyper practical and thinking that all sounds really nice in theory. How the hell do I apply that to my life when I've got practical reality to deal with? I agree with you. And you know what I'll say to those people? And that is this. It's make a decision. Yeah. I'm a firm believer that not making a decision is not is making a decision. So if there's something that you're interested in, I'm a big fan of being able to say, I tried that and it didn't work out. I was curious about that and I explored it. Right now, I know a lot of people, and there may be some of your listeners who are listening, they're curious about something. Mm-hmm. But they haven't done the effort or the work, that research, that is to, to learn if it is something they want to explore. They're making a lot of assumptions about themselves, whether that's a project, whether that's a new career, whether that's a new city. I'll find that there are a lot of people who are waiting till everything is right, as you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to tell people that you know the opportunity that you have is to, to use the ingredients that you currently have. What I mean by that is you're going to hear people say, I don't have the right software on my computer to do a podcast. I I don't have the right relationships. I don't have the right amount of money in my bank account. I don't live in the right city. You name it more and more and more. Well, well, what do you have? And how can you work with what you do you have to take that step forward? You know, I've I've been fortunate over the years, you know, for print articles and again for the NBC program that they produced that I hosted to interview top CEOs, executives, entrepreneurs, you name it, over the years. And what's been fascinating in many of those conversations with these men and women is that as we talk about this term innovation, as we talk about these term, the term breakthroughs, I've learned that most innovations and most breakthroughs come when you have constrained resources. <laughs> you know, it's not when you have the big budgets. It's not when you're in the right place. It's not when you have the, the right software, et cetera. It's when you have to get creative with the limited resources that you have and you'll find some amazing things happen during those times. Uh, of doing it. And what that means, again, that, that, that's commitment and, and being committed to what you actually say is important. And if someone says something is important to them, the first thing I always say is, well, tell me about your yesterday. What'd you do to work towards that commitment? All right. Well, what'd you do last week to work towards that commitment? Because a lot of times we're, we're thinking, we think about legacy, which is a big term people talk about. And I still think about reading that book years ago, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And the way he talked about legacy is not just what's going to be on your tombstone or what people are going to say at your funeral. Or your, it's like, what was your legacy of today? Mm-hmm. What was your legacy of what you did yesterday? What was your legacy of last week, et cetera? So for me, it's about taking committed action, You know, really, really falling in love with uh, repetition. 
Uh, and I, I can't repeat it enough that <laughs> a big part of that's going to be who you surround yourself with on a regular basis. Yeah. People who will call BS on you. I don't know you well, but I'm pretty sure if you were my friend, you would call BS on me if I was BSing. Yeah, no doubt. I love that. I mean, yeah, without a doubt, if you think about it, it, it's you look at all these sort of what we call overnight success stories and it's so cliche to say it, though, yeah, though it happens. But literally all of them are years in the making. Years in the making. And again, I talked to a lot of young college students and one of the biggest things that they're afraid of is making the wrong decision. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you can't make a wrong decision. You know, make make any make, you know, choose something, but choose anything, but choose something. And of course, you can you can you can change from that career a year down the road or six months down the road. Of course, people aren't staying in jobs. It seems longer than 18 months. Yeah. These days. I mean, these days. And again, it, it is about habit and I really do believe there's there's a big difference between being tired and being lazy. Yeah. Uh, as I again, I follow a lot of young college students on, on Twitter, and I read a lot about you hear about how hard people are hustling and how hard people are grinding. And I let them know firsthand that people I know who grind, people I know who hustle, they don't have time to tell you that. You're not going to see that on Facebook. You're not going to see that on Twitter. You're not going to see that on Snapchat because they're actually they have their head down, you know, working to to make things happen. Mm-hmm. So that actually, I think, makes a, a really perfect setup to to actually spend uh, the rest of the time talking about what I want to talk about, which is education. Uh, given that you spend so much time with college students, I'm really curious what your thoughts are on our modern education system and whether you think it's actually setting people up to fail. Yeah, well, I'll start. Let's rewind. We'll talk about that. Um, I'll start with this. I think you know, entrepreneurship, of course, is, has been the rage for the longest time, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we've heard a lot of discourse and about specifically a university education and is it worth it nowadays? And we're talking about people, you, know, you have the tools and resources on your computer, you can go start your own company. I know firsthand that being a, an entrepreneur is not for everyone, by no means. Everyone is not meant to be an entrepreneur. However, I do believe that people can take an entrepreneurial approach to career success, whether they work at a company or not. Again, when it comes to university education, all we have to do is look at the statistics. Um, those who have a college degree versus those who don't have a college degree, their earning potential is that much higher, you know, substantially higher over the course of a variety of years. The unemployment rate is substantially lower for those who do have a college degree. Now, I, I get it. A college degree isn't for everyone either. There are tons of other things you can do. You can pursue entrepreneurship. You can go into a vocational trade, et cetera. Um, but I really do believe that education is transformative and can change someone's life. Mm-hmm. You know, people will say, but Antonio, come on, you know, there are these universities, they're, 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 they're increasing tuition costs on a regular basis. The next subprime crisis is going to be with student loan debt, which is in the trillions of dollars. Uh, unemployment rate still isn't great for those 18 to 24-year-old uh, graduates. But I've seen firsthand how transformative an experience that the college can be for individuals. And I'm the firsthand example of that by all means. Um, I think the opportunity that college students have is to realize that their education doesn't stop in the classroom. Yeah. I think that's what a lot of people get wrong. I can tell you right now about my, my learnings at Western Michigan University and at Columbia University. By the way, I still have graduate school debt that I'm proud, actually proud to have. <laughs> I'm fortunate enough that I can you know, pay my loans. I know there are a lot of people right now that went to some great institutions and they're struggling to pay their loan debt. So I don't, I don't you know, disparage that by no means. I know that it's a real challenge and we as a government and the country have to do something to make sure if you want to get an education that we're going to support you in doing that. Um, but you know, that education transformed my life, specifically those things that I did outside the classroom. Again, you talk about grit and resilience. Mm-hmm. One of the main reasons employers hire people with degrees is because it's a filtering system, essentially, right or wrong. It shows that you can begin something and you can finish it. Uh, the relationships that I formed at my university, not only with professors, with students, but with professors and administrators, et cetera, those are powerful relationships that I've been, been able to benefit to, from to this day. Mm-hmm. So I look at education as a win-win. Uh, I am not happy when I see someone who busted their butt for four or five years to go to a great institution, and then they come out and they're struggling to pay their student loan debt. 
there's something that needs to be done to reform the educational system mm-hmm. uh, to make sure people can succeed. And there's a great book that came out recently um, by the New York Times columnist, columnist Frank Bruni. And I think I'm going to get, I hope I get this title right. It's called uh, Where You Go Is Not Who You're Going to Be. Mm. And I think we've learned that you don't necessarily have to go to that quote unquote brand name university, if you will, whether it's an Ivy League or Stanford or something like that. You find that a lot of successful people, specifically the men and women sometimes that are running these top companies across the country or you know, achieve the executive ranks, they haven't always gone to what you would call the, the top tiered colleges. Uh, I think it's a great way to equate that is when you look at professional sports. Uh, many times when you look at a sport like football, uh, the quarterbacks who succeed aren't always the ones that go to the top programs. And the reason why that happens to be the case is because those quarterbacks that went to the smaller programs, they know what it's like to struggle a little bit more and not have five seconds to throw the ball down the field. They have to get rid of that ball even that much faster. Mm-hmm. So when they come into a, a high-pressure environment of the NFL, they're, they're more equipped to succeed. So I know that's been a long answer right there, but I emphatically – endorse a, a college education and, and acknowledge simultaneously that by no means is that for everyone. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I have, I have mixed feelings about this. I have friends who will ask me about grad school and I'm always, my answer is always no, because I'm buried in student loan debt and I've had trouble paying it uh, in the spirit of complete transparency. But uh, that being said, you know, my, my big challenge with college is that the structure of it is too much of a one-size-fits-all solution. I feel like we don't uncover people's latent talents enough early in life because of the way education is designed. It actually takes us back to that earlier part of the conversation where you said you know, somebody sees a certain job uh, is in highest demand, and it puts them down a path that they don't want to be down. And I feel that that is – at least that's how I made decisions in college, and I feel like a lot of people still do. And I think that's where college goes wrong on so many levels. I don't disagree with you whatsoever. It's too much of a formula. It's too much of a structure. You and I both know that that's not how we as humans roll. What worked for the workforce uh, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago by no means is going to work today. So I think there has to be reform across the board. What you're finding is a lot of employers, they're getting these young men and women with college degrees, and they're finding they're not even ready to you know, perform immediately because they're still doing a lot of book learning. So I think there needs to be a combination of not only, of course, in the classroom learning, but making sure folks can get out and do, you know, co-ops or those type of programs. Uh, you know, a lot of German institutions, what they do is they have programs where you, you're in the classroom for X amount of time, then you go work for a company for X amount of time where you can actually try out your skills and, and be hands-on with that. So I think that would be a good opportunity. But again, it really does go back, I think, to the individual. And realizing the choices that they have, you can go to university and you can say, I'm just going to take these 15 credits a semester and all I'm going to do is go to the classroom and, and, and get those good grades. Or you can say, I'm going to do that and I understand that it's going to take a little bit more to succeed and I'm going to see what I can do to learn and excel outside of the classroom, whether that's with relationship building, whether that's with internships, whether that's taking, you know, whether that a coding class or something else on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't disagree with you. And when it comes to graduate school, uh, yes, graduate school by no means is for everyone. When I decided to, listen, my bank account, when I decided to go to graduate school, my bank account was like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Why would you even consider this? Yeah. Graduate school for me was a decision. I wanted that master's degree for me. It was something that, you know, I've always valued education. It meant a lot to me. I wanted that degree so much and that experience that I made that I, I wanted to be okay. Like, you know what? I'm going to this graduate school of journalism. If for some reason I never work in journalism, I want to be okay that I made this decision. And for me, I could say, you know what? If I never work in journalism, I don't think I'm going to be mad that I got this degree. And that has been the case. But reform 100% is needed. And whatever I have to do to you know, support that and make sure these students don't come out and struggle and the government can forgive some of these debts, uh, I think we're going to see more of that hopefully coming with not only the current administration, but moving forward as well. Hmm. So uh, let me ask you this, having come from sort of the world of traditional journalism, you know, traditional TV with the internet and all the tools it kind of gives us, how do you, what are your thoughts on our modern media landscape and, and, you know, how is that changing everything? Of course, there's just so much. It's exhausting, right? (laughs) 
there's just so much out there. Uh, I love that pretty much the tools have been democratized. You know, mm-hmm. there's no reason why you can't have your own podcast in the iTunes store. You have distribution right now as an individual. Uh, you're seeing, of course, the media companies, whether those are newspaper companies or even magazines, many of them are struggling. Uh, and they've been struggling for a variety of years. When I was in graduate school back in 2005, they were talking about the, the death of newspapers, and, and some of them have, have died. Uh, I actually look at this time right now, especially as it relates to technology, as there's a huge opportunity for people to come in and succeed. Uh, there's one thing I really took away from my experience in the Columbia Graduate School of Journalism was the power of story. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much out there. I invite anyone just to open their Twitter stream right now. And you're going to see so much. And out of all the things you happen to click on, you read what such a small portion of that is quality. Yes, there are five million podcasts out there, but you know what? Such a small portion of them are high quality. So I'm a firm believer. You know, the higher the quality, the better, and it will be found. It is going to stand out. Yeah. I think about you know what the comedian, actor, author Steve Martin once said. He said, you know, be so good that they can't. Ignore you. Mm-hmm. Now, just because you have a, a great Canon 7D camera doesn't mean that you can tell a great story with it, right? So even with the democratization of tools, you still got to do something with it. Uh, so it's a crowded media landscape, which I think actually creates an opportunity for great content, whether that's print or video or audio, to stand out. Well, Antonio, this has been amazing, eye-opening, insightful, as I expected it would be uh, since, you know, you were one of Clay's referrals and he's always on the money when it comes to that. So I have one final question for you, which you've probably heard me ask since you've listened to our interviews. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I was going to say passion, but I think it's commitment. More than anything else, something unmistakable is when you see that tried and true Commitment. You can tell I work in many ways in personal development, but when I think about commitment, I think about the three D's that a high school coach said to me years ago. She said, this is what makes people successful. And how about we say unmistakable? And that is, you know, desire, dedication, and discipline. Hmm. Something that is highly underrated in this world, I believe, is discipline and commitment. And how many episodes do you have up right now? We're probably well past 500. (laughs) Think about that. Think about that. Think about how many people have eight. They did one and there's not any more. That right there is unmistakable. When you have that tried track record, that discipline of doing this every single week, whether someone listens or not, you are still showing up. You're still putting – and this this unmistakable means that when you and I finish this recording right now, your work is just beginning for this. It's not done. You know, From the post-production to up, everything that has to happen. So for me, discipline and commitment make something – not only makes something attractive, but it makes it unmistakable as well. Hmm. Well, Antonio, as I said, it has been my absolute pleasure to have you here as a guest on uh, The Unmistakable Creative. I've, I've learned so much talking to you, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and share your story and your journey and our, your insights with our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to listening to, to more episodes. And again, keep up the amazing, committed work. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.